Hi, this is Justin. Today on Theocast, we're going to be talking about God, and in particular, we're going to be talking about God's posture towards us. If you listen to many preachers and many theologians talk, it seems like God deep down kind of hates the world and hates us. And yeah, he he redeems us and he saves some sinners, but he does that purely for his own glory, but he doesn't really want to do that. And then even Jesus himself came into the world kind of holding his nose and not very happy about the mission that he was on and in all of his interactions with sinners was really just there to rebuke and yell at people. Um, God is presented as harsh and Jesus is presented the same way. And what this has produced in so many Christians and so many of us is fear, where the thought of standing before Christ or being with the Lord is a terrifying prospect. So the question is, is that presentation of God biblical? Is it accurate? Is that presentation of Jesus accurate? That's what John and I are going to be talking about on today's episode. If this interests you, which we assume it does, stay tuned. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed and pastoral perspective. Your hosts today are John Moffat, who is pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And I'm Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We have met again, John, to record a podcast. My brother, I've been encouraged already this morning in our just one-on-one conversation before we hit record. I, like anybody else, am prone to struggle in this life and can battle just kind of melancholy and feeling flat and gray. And that's definitely how I've been feeling this morning and have been encouraged in our conversation about Christ even before even before recording this. So I hope that that even can come through in what we say. And laughed a lot. Here in just a minute. We did laugh a, a decent amount <laughs> and made, you know, made jokes and made fun about things. But we were having a conversation kind of getting ready to record this episode. And uh, I'm excited to talk about it. And yeah. you, know, you are too. So, hey, man, but we're, before we get to the, the content at hand, we want to give away a good resource like we've been That's doing right. every week for a minute now. Yeah, absolutely. And we had someone reach out to us to give something to us, which I need to contact them back. And uh, But Seriously. we had a, a, lo- a pastor here in Tennessee offer to rebind some Bibles for us. So, yeah. Uh, we should probably give him a shout out. We'll, we'll get his work first and then just yeah. <laughs> give, give him a shout out on the podcast. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, we're going to be giving away a book we've given away before. Um, just kind of, we get to a point where we want to repeat some of these books because they're just that good. But and this one's a classic. Mm, we're going to be giving away the a bruised reed, and it was written in uh, I think twenty twenty one well, or twenty something like that of the year sixteen hundred. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, homie. I mean, Richard Sibbs was born in fifteen seventy seven. So. I was just seeing if people even knew who he was. Like, we're giving away a relevant modern author. Yeah. You know why they're relevant to us, Justin? Because they're dead and their theology is completed. Sometimes and, and they you, say wonderful things about Jesus. Yeah. Well, sometimes you uh almost kind of want to wait to promote certain people until they die because you're not quite sure what they're gonna say that contradicts what they said before. Yeah. So that's why we read a lot and recommend a lot of dead authors. 
except for like, you know, Michael Horton who's not dead. So, you know, yeah. Sinclair that. Ferguson. Yeah. Sinclair. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyways, it's not a rule of thumb, but, uh, anyway, rich, uh, Bruce Reed, we've given this away before. It's going to be excellent resource to go along with our podcast today. If you've not read it, you can get a link to it down in our notes. Uh, there is an Amazon link. If you use that link, the Amazon will give us a portion of that purchase. If you thank don't, you, Amazon. Yes, if you don't want to uh, purchase it, you have an opportunity to win it. We are giving away to one of our members. He's a new member, so thanks for partnering with us uh, in our ministry, Dustin Keys. You will be getting a free copy of this. We'll have it shipped to your house. Uh, so we'll shoot you an email, get your address from you. So congratulations to one of our Simple Reformanda members. And then also, if you'd like to win this copy, yeah, we're going to give it away to you. Uh, one of our listeners, all you need to go to is one of our social medias. It has to be on Wednesday morning when the podcast drops, and uh, it will uh, have all the instructions there. And then on Thursday, we will give it away, and then we will announce next week's podcast, which next week's podcast, which is four weeks from now for us. But Justin, I don't know if you know this, but um, it's already come out by this point, but has not come out for us, is our critique of Lordship Salvation. Mm. So that'll be uh, next week, which is... Four weeks ago. Isn't that weird? It's almost like yeah, being really in weird. the Matrix somehow. It's like Back to the Future. I don't know. Or what's the know. what's the what's the one where they go like in a dream within a dream within a dream? You mean uh, Inception? Inception. Yes. Oh it my kind of has like what a the, good movie that is. Yeah. My anything with anything it with Tom Hardy in it signed me up. Yeah, yeah you are a Hardy guy. Justin, what are we talking <laughs> about today? Not Tom Hardy. I can say that <laughs> with confidence. Um, Even though Tom Hardy needs Jesus, so there's there's your yeah, transition. Well, and maybe we could talk about that in Simba Reformanda. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so this is a, a good conversation we're going to have, and this has been prompted by a number of things. I mean, even some posts that we've seen recently. But I think this is more of just an ongoing observation. I know certainly for me and John, I know you agree. Yeah. So I think a lot of times the way that God is depicted in general is that you know deep down god really just kind of hates us uh, he hates sin he hates sinners he is just completely and altogether displeased with us and the only reason that he would ever save sinners like us is because it brings him glory somehow uh, but he kind of reluctantly does that and then even jesus the the second person of the trinity god the son took on flesh and entered into this world and he really did it um, holding his nose, not wanting to be here, not wanting to come and do what he did. Uh, he interacted with sinners on earth and just kind of hated it the entire time. And all he really did was, you know, he came to yell at the Jews because they had misunderstood true religion. And he also came to spend time with tax collectors and sinners, but he only did that so that he could effectively rebuke them and yell at them too. Uh, and it just is this depiction of Christ as a very harsh and exacting, threatening, and even frightening person uh, who the last thing in the world you'd want to do is be near him. And it's very clearly a misrepresentation of him, John, because sinners, in particular people who knew that they had no righteousness, could not stay away from him. The people that thought they were righteous had a problem with him, but those who knew that they were bankrupt and devoid of righteousness seemed to flock to him in droves and wanted to be near him and hear what he had to say. And I mean, not not bearing the lead here. I mean, uh, the title of this episode is one of the punchier titles we've come up with in a while, For God So Hated the World. And what we're trying to depict <laughs> here is that God, far from God just full stop, just like hating all of us and hating everything and reluctantly saving us and 
all of these things. And Jesus kind of coming into the world, hating his mission and hating us and uh, really just coming to rebuke everyone. The scripture actually bears witness to the fact that Jesus willingly did this, that God loves us. He delights to save us. He is gracious and merciful and compassionate and tender. Jesus says these things about himself. He came the first time not to judge us, but to save us. That's right. You know, this is the testimony of the scripture. And I mean, the reason why this matters a lot to me, John, I know you agree, is I know for myself personally, because of the kind of teaching that I was exposed to for years, combined with my natural constitution and and an anxious conscience, what this means is that still for me in my low moments when I'm you know, melancholy and struggling and feeling flat and dry spiritually, uh, I do not have good feelings naturally in those moments about standing before Christ at the end of time. Mm. And I think for many people, they feel the same thing, that the thought of standing before Christ at the end of it all is a frightening and terrifying prospect. And the last thing in the world that you think would be good for you is to be near him because the only picture you've really ever been given of him is that he is holy and terrifying and hates sinners. And we today in this podcast want to be able to unpack the biblical representation and presentation of Jesus in his earthly ministry and then connect that to God because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm. And I hope that this conversation is really comforting for people and encouraging. I trust that I'm going to be comforted as we keep talking about this stuff, because I already have been in my own mind as I was thinking about some of these things this morning and then certainly talking with you before we recorded, I was comforted. Let me throw a quick disclaimer out, John, before we go any further, because uh, we don't like being misunderstood and we don't want to be in this episode. So Nothing that we're about to say should be understood to mean that Jesus came into the world indifferent about sin. Um, God hates sin, and there's a reason why he sent his son so that we could be delivered and rescued from it hmm. and so that we could be given a righteousness that we don't have. So it's yeah. not that Jesus was, was indifferent about sin or that Jesus came with all this compassion and gentleness and meekness, and he never told anybody they were wrong or you know that he's just affirming people in their sin and just say, hey, do whatever you want. It really doesn't matter. All we want to do is just kind of celebrate everybody, and we ought just not judge each other. Hmm. That's not at all what we understand Jesus to have done. So we're not communicating that in any way. But what we want to do is use a little bit of law gospel and some other tools that are in our tool belt and approach the ministry of Jesus from an accurate perspective and yep. and chop it up. This is that. Yeah, this is where law gospel distinction is very important. And if you're new to this, uh, in our notes, we will provide a couple of podcasts that do, we have a specific one on law gospel. But what we'd like to do is then use that uh, paradigm to explain scripture uh, explain the nature of of God and the nature of Jesus and nature of men. Uh, so we we believe firmly that in the Reformed tradition that we have been handed, that we do use a law gospel distinction: law being that which only condemns, and gospel being that which brings to life of good news. Uh, what you were describing that just in the introduction, the way I had it in my mind is, you know, Jesus, the uh, the righteous son walks around and says, hey, you peasants, if you don't repent of your evil ways, I shall boot you out of the kingdom. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm here to deal with you peasants and you're mm-hmm. annoying to me that I have to come here because y'all right. can't, you know, obey. Yeah. 
This is not the Jesus we are talking about. I don't know what accent it is. I, it's not an accent of any culture. It's just one I made up. So there we go. Seriously. I'm not picking on anybody. My wife makes fun of my accent. John, she you're goes, sensitive, man. She says, what is that? I'm like, I don't know. It's different than the way I talk. It's I, just something different. Uh, the thing about it is um, when we think, I think, Justin, I, I'm going to start here and then and then please, you can. The, we don't understand the position versus the disposition of God. So mm-hmm. it is clear in scripture that the, the position that we have in relationship to God is child of wrath. Yeah, um, enemy, right? Enemy, right? And we can use passages like Psalm seven eleven, where it says God is a righteous judge; He has mm-hmm. indignation all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I had mentioned Nahum chapter two, chapter one. I'm sorry, chapter one, um, and 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 following. Sorry, verses uh, two. Let me just read yeah. you a couple of verses and we'll jump down. But it says, um, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord. So um, you can see right away, even if you jump down to verse six, who can stand before the indignation, who can mm-hmm. endure the heat of his anger. His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. So, we mm-hmm. will uphold with firm foundations Amen. the absolute indignation and righteous holiness of God. Yeah. Under the law, that is true. If yeah. you comp- this is why you can't lower the law or make the law achievable. Otherwise, uh, you are saying that you can endure God's wrath. The point of the law is that you see the law, mm-hmm. see the requirements of the law. Let's just do one, Justin, one command of the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength above all else, all other gods, all anything. Yeah. We don't even look at the rest of the Old Testament. Don't mm-hmm. even look at the rest of it. Just do that one law. You mm-hmm. should say, yeah, I am condemned. And then you, the conclusion should be, now you know what Nahum is saying about you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have, if that's the greatest commandment, I have so failed to keep it that I am ruined. Right. Yeah. So by God's nature, which it's hard for us as humans to understand that is that we somehow categorize God into uh, emotions where we mm-hmm. categorize them into responses. So mm-hmm. some describe God as an angry God, and then you have other people describing God as a loving God as if it's two separate. Right. And yet in the complexity, God can be both. And we don't understand his anger and love can be something that is uh, true of both statements. Uh, outside of Christ, he is angry at me. Inside of Christ, he's not. But that doesn't work with how Paul describes things. So what we need to think, the difference between our position, a lot of time the Old Testament prophets and even um, Paul, when he says, uh, there's none righteous, no, not one, we're all under God's condemnation. That is your position, but that doesn't mean that's God's disposition towards you. Um, while we were yet sinners, what does it say? Right, Christ died. Christ for died us. for us. So yeah. I think we can we can acknowledge the dis, We can acknowledge our position as sinners mm-hmm. and underneath the wrath of God. But we have to also acknowledge the rest of Scripture that I think describes the disposition of God but, towards sinners. Right, that He's a redeemer. That's right. And it's it's not just that He saves people because it brings Him glory. Of course, it does. But right. it is His nature that he delights to pour out grace and mercy on people who by definition don't deserve those things. Can I read verse seven? Please. Uh, we had mentioned, uh, just in continuing. This is Nahum, Nahum chapter one. Yeah. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Amen. 
So those are the kinds of things that we understand law and gospel. That Nahum is a great example of law yeah. and gospel. That passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like his, his indignation and wrath are so intense. What is the only hope for sinners? It's to take refuge in the rock of ages, man. You know, that's absolutely where true. we can hide ourselves. Right. Yeah. So there's our introduction. So Justin, let's go ahead and get into the meat of what we really sure. wanted to talk about today is Jesus' disposition towards sinners. Sure. What and, does Jesus want us to know about him? Word. And I think, you know, I, very last maybe preliminary statement. Sorry, John. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to impugn anybody's motivations. I assume that when people are preaching holiness and wrath and in some of the things that I described, maybe in a punchy way where Christ is depicted as a frightening figure, I assume that they mean well and Mm -hmm. that what they're meaning to do is give like legitimate credence to the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. And like you said, God's indignation rightly against evil and sin. But I think rather than producing reverence and awe before God, all it ends up doing is producing a fear of him that causes us either to hate him or to be Mm -hmm. absolutely terrified of being near him. And rather than, I think, the right preaching, I know you agree, of law and gospel and really of holding Christ out as he has described himself and as his ministry would depict him, and when you do that, preach law and gospel and hold Christ out to people, I think what you do end up producing is reverence and awe before the Lord that this holy God loves me. And that he is graciously inclined toward me and that he's given me mercy. And he has done so much for me that he's provided me with all the righteousness and holiness that I need. And he just gives that to me. And he has dealt with my sin because he is righteous, but he has done it in such a way where he took the punishment that I deserve. Now it's like, oh my gosh, like I want to be near him. I want to worship him. I'm in reverence. I'm in awe mm-hmm. of him. And I would say... You the know. greater the authority, the greater the mercy means. Like, for instance, if my yeah. neighbor, if my neighbor gives me mercy because I accidentally mowed over onto his side of the lawn too far, versus a judge gives me mercy because you know I, uh, whatever, I murdered somebody. Yeah. The 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 level of authority and the the level of intensity, and so I think when when it says fear of the Lord. It's one of those things that says, understand his authority, mm-hmm. understand his position, understand mm-hmm. his power. Word. But yet you don't walk in trembling as far as like you're waiting for the hammer to pounce you. That's the exact opposite yeah. description we get from Jesus. Yeah. So the way that I might start this conversation about Jesus and his earthly ministry is with this, I hope, clarifying comment. If you were to survey the gospel accounts, and again, those are maybe not always the best names for them, but it's the the, the life and ministry of Jesus according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. Um, I think that we will notice that Jesus and his disposition towards different groups of people is different. And so there are times when Christ does act and speak in a way that is very direct, I mean, breathtakingly direct. At times, it's it comes across as harsh, even condemnatory, right? And then there are other times where he speaks and carries himself in a way that is very gentle, compassionate, tender, lowly, um, meek even. And people have a hard time, I think, parsing this out because in, in some measure, you know, they don't have a good distinction of law and gospel in view in terms of what Christ is meaning to do. There may be other things associated with this. But I would suggest, John, that as I've studied these passages and these books of the Bible, that pretty much without exception— the times when Jesus is harsh and breathtakingly direct and condemnatory, 
He is interacting with people that think that they're righteous, are trusting in themselves that they're righteous, or think that they can achieve righteousness through the law. And then on the flip side, pretty much without exception, mm-hmm. whenever he is around people who know that they're sinners or who are not claiming to be righteous or understand that they're in a position of need and they are coming with no confidence whatsoever, he is compassionate and gentle and tender and forgives sins. Mm. And I think that's incredibly instructive for us if we're going to rightly understand Christ. So I don't know which one you want to start with, brother. I mean, maybe we start with the the direct, harsher stuff first and maybe yeah. unpack some of that so that we can then land on the sweeter stuff. How does that sound? Yeah. No, it sounds good. Great. Once Take you start us away. Us up. All right. All right yeah. Great. Go Why ahead. don't we just start the first one that it, that often comes <laughs> to people's minds is when Jesus is flipping tables over and uh, yeah. fashioning a whip and is basically like wrecking shop and turning the the temple court inside out and is rebuking people. You know, this, this is my, my father's house is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. And you have turned it into a den of robbers. And you and I were talking about this passage before we recorded the mm-hmm. way that you and I both understand it and reformed Christians have for centuries have understood right. this is that all of this hoopla, it's not that the, the sale of animals itself it's not that that is so wicked that Christ. No, it was necessary. Ridiculous. It was necessary actually, because mm-hmm. of the sacrificial system and people coming from a long way away. They couldn't have brought animals with them. That's right. The reason Christ is upset and is indignant is because where all of this hoopla and this circus was taking place is in the court of the Gentiles. That's so right. it's the only place in the temple complex where the nations could come and have access to God and in particular have access to the forgiveness of sins mm-hmm. in the Lord's name. And That's so. Right. Christ is indignant that this whole enterprise and and this fiasco that's going on is hindering people. It's hindering the nations in coming to God for the forgiveness of their sins. That's right. And so he is indignant about that, rightly, and that's why he turns the place inside out. That's right. But a lot of times we just see that as just a blanket indictment on everyone that Jesus is upset about, you know, inauthentic worship and false worship wholesale. And none of us, you know, basically this is, every one of us is in the crosshairs here. And, and Jesus is just generally telling all of us that our worship is illegitimate. If you're new to Theocast, we have a free ebook available for you called Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And if you've struggled with legalism, a lack of assurance, or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone, we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. If I were to summarize, I'd say Jesus is upset about people who are blocking the gospel. Correct. They're blocking grace from the nations. And so he gets upset saying, you should be getting, you need to get out of the way. And what I what breaks my heart about the interpretation of what some people do with this is that they immediately turn it into like um, some kind of repentance of sinners. And see, he's not exactly. upset. He's not upset at the Gentiles. He's upset at the Jews, the religious system that blocked grace from people, which I, I, I too, and Justin often on this podcast get very upset when people block the gospel or block grace from people requiring something of them or putting a hurdle in their way and almost making Jesus impossible. I'll just say it hard to believe or well, hard to follow. Amen, dude. Yeah. It's not that Jesus is just in, indignant at sinners in general. He is indignant, like you just said, about barriers that are being erected between people and 
redemption, forgiveness of sins, and salvation. That's right. And that's I, right. That needs to be said. All right. Next example that we came up with uh, uh, was Luke 13. So mm-hmm. this is where Jesus is talking again to a Jewish audience, and people bring to his attention the Galileans who were slaughtered by Pilate, mingled with you know these other pagan sacrifices. And Jesus says to this group of people, do you think that these people were any worse than you? Well, they weren't. You need to repent or you too will likewise perish. Or he says, he mentions, Jesus does. What about those people in Siloam, the 18 people on whom the tower fell and they died? Do you think that they were worse than you? Well, No, they weren't. You too need to repent. So he, again, is talking to people. It's very clear in the context. He's talking to people that think they are better than other people. That's right. Their their base mentality is we're not like those people are and thereby are not as as sinful or are not in the same kind of need or, or, or maybe not even worthy of the same kind of judgment or bad things happening to them. And Christ is meaning to blow up that kind of stupidity and help people see themselves for what they are. Go ahead. Yeah, the word repent there, we have to ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean by repent? Like, what are they repenting of? That we used, we just throw that word out there if it if it always means repent of immorality of yeah. some sort. That's what we always say. It is repent of immorality. Can I say something? Yeah, go for it. I think I think you're exactly right, and I think what Jesus is most often aiming the gun at when it comes to repent, he is asking, he is telling them to repent of your self righteousness. Be, exactly. Repent Bingo. of repent of all of these things that you're trusting in that are not going to save you. And in fact, you're trusting in stuff that is like at best filthy rags. Stop. That's right. Yeah. Well, it, there are some sections which we'll get there where Jesus is dealing with the immorality of a woman. He says, "Go sin sure. no more." That that is a sure. But uh, but look at his could, posture toward put him. a put a put a Excel spreadsheet together of who Jesus tells to repent of righteousness versus who he tells to repent of sin, and he's always poking the finger in the self righteous eye because without the righteousness of Christ, you have no righteousness, and so he's always telling them repent of yeah. your own righteousness. But even that account that you just mentioned where he tells the woman, this is in John 8, and I understand right. that that's a disputed text, but still the point is made. It's in our Bibles. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he tells her, go and sin no more. What has he done in that circumstance? He has protected her. He has defended her. Um, he has protected her in particular from Pharisees who wanted to that's stone right. her. And he he says, you know, woman, who is left to condemn you? And she says, nobody. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He is right. gentle. That's right. And encourages, like, you've just been forgiven, clearly. Now right. go and sin no more, to which we say, praise be to God. Right. To which, right. as an exegetical note, uh, I don't believe it was a part of the original text, but I don't think it's inconsistent Correct. with the nature There's of Scripture There's a reason why Jesus. it's been included in the canon by Simeon. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, other examples are like how Jesus is very, very confrontational with the Jewish religious leadership regarding the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. There are a number of passages we could point to where they are trying to either trap Jesus or Jesus will raise things in their presence. You know, whether it's over healing a man with a withered hand or, um, you know, pl- plucking a head of grain on the Sabbath and all these things. And Jesus makes it very clear that these people, this is one example of many of how they have codified a godly life to death and how they are trusting in living a codified life, you know, to to earn them something before God. Like we're clearly crushing it and doing what the Lord would require of us and desire of us in the ways that we have put this fence around the Sabbath 
And Jesus, again, is blowing up that kind of a system and that sort of a schema of religion that, no, you have not understood this at all. That, in fact, like you, you think that man was made for the Sabbath when in reality, Sabbath was the Sabbath was made for you. It's for mm. your benefit. That's good. You know, and I am Lord of the Sabbath and my word stands, you know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is hard. Um, I, you know what I've noticed, Justin, is that one of the things I'm teaching my church is to look at all of scripture before you make conclusions about one sure. particular section of scripture or a, a doctrine. Um, we did this at last night at men's group. Someone was mentioning Romans 10 and a section of Romans 10. And I said, yes, but let's read that in light of what mm. all of scripture has to say about justification. Always a good practice, brother. Not just one, right. So w- what ends up happening is that someone's disposition towards a particular theological bent, like angry Puritan preachers or even sure. modern day street preachers, is they tend to emphasize one aspect of the nature of God or of the nature of redemption, which is mm the law part of redemption is the law sure um we 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 have to do it in balance i think when we look at jesus you see the balance and what jesus goes after and i think we have to use the posture and the nature and the purpose of jesus i mean jesus literally says i have come to do the will of my father yes and what was the will of his father it wasn't to bring a sword no all right he well, brought redemption right yeah, i mean he laid down his life that was his purpose and will yeah, you're alluding to John 6, amongst other places, where Jesus right. says that basically he came to the will of his Father, which is to save sinners, and that he would actually lose none of any who come to him. That's right. And any who come to me, I will never cast them out. That's right. That, and it's and the does, will of my Father that anybody who believes in me should not perish, but be raised on the last day, and I will do that. Yeah, and I love the descriptors the New Testament gives Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God yeah. who takes away the sins of the world. He is the shepherd. He is mm. our brother. Yeah, the good shepherd. You, yeah. Right. So you hear, for sinners, he is living water. Mm. For sinners, yes. he is living bread. It's he is not, the bread of life that came down from heaven. Right. For right. sinners. That's the thing about yes. it is that we somehow think it's, oh, no, it's for those who have made this transition. Yeah. It's while we were in sin, Christ died for us. Not when we repented, Christ died for us. Or like once we have once we have repented adequately and feel the way we should about our sin and are fighting hard enough, then God is pleased to sustain and bless us and show us grace. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of this is is uh, rooted out of a comment that we had read recently, and I, and this is not an uncommon statement within some areas of Christianity, you know, Jesus is with sinners, and the reason he's with them is to call them to repentance. Um, well, let, let's just do let's just do an analysis again. Jesus described as friend of sinners. Jesus mm. spends time with sinners so much that he's being described as a drunkard, yeah. being criticized for letting prostitutes touch him, yeah. uh, which is completely, and, and to, just to be clear, uh, <laughs> touched and not in an appropriate way. Um, right. Um, she's a dirty woman. How could you let him touch right. your 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 feet? Um, and yet, so when he's dealing with sinners, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. When mm. he's dealing with self righteous, yes, he is he is angry. Yes, he is. I mean, John the Baptist, as you had already said in our pre conversation, called them a brood of vipers. Well, and Jesus <laughs> Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, right? Because on the outside they look good. They're doing the right stuff. They're checking the boxes. You've got all these codes that you follow, but inside you're dead. So what's the difference between a Pharisee, a whitewashed tomb, and a sinner, right? What, what he's describing is Jesus says, I have come to save the lost right. or find the lost. So a sinner, it makes sense if Jesus is saying, these people understand why I'm here. They have no righteousness. They, they have nothing to cling what? to, and they want me 
the Pharisees or the self-righteous are clinging to their own yes. sin. So he's calling them to they're, repent. They're clinging to their own righteousness. That's right. right. He calls the self-righteous to repent, and he tells the the those who are beat down by the law and mm-hmm. beat by down by their sin, he says, come to me. Repent right. so, to one people, come to the other. Yes. So we've already kind of naturally made the transition. There are many other passages we could go to where Jesus is like d- dropping bombs and setting grenades on the table and pulling the pin. But we're already transitioning naturally to some of the other things that he says. Right. So what you just said, John, it's it's exactly verbatim. Like, for example, Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13, where Jesus says, uh, the Pharisees and tax collectors, or, excuse me, the uh, Pharisees have challenged Jesus and they say to Christ's disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, why does he do this? Yeah. And then what does Christ say? When he, Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. To your point, this is why he came. Mm. I didn't come for those who think that they're righteous already. I came for those who are sinners, and this is why I'm here. And what's his posture toward those people? Matthew 11, 28 to 30, which is where, I mean, we got our tagline from, Mm -hmm. for goodness sakes, (laughs) where he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden with what? The demands of the law, perhaps Mm -hmm. even the code that had been thrown on top of the law by the Pharisees, right? And I will give you rest, he says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is the invitation of Jesus to sinners. Gentle and lowly. Yes. (laughs) And I'll give you, I will give you rest. That's right. If you're weary and you're burdened and you're just weighed down and getting crushed, I'm who and what you need. Come to me. I will say this again, and it needs to be said a thousand times. If The invitation of Jesus does not lead you to rest. You have got the wrong invitation from the wrong Bible. How can you miss the point? Weary sinners who feel the weight of the law, which is the purpose of the law. We need the law. The law must be preached. Jesus was the greatest preacher of the law, bar none, period. He, he He executed that position clearly. Because without the law, Jesus cannot be the redeemer. And so he he presses the law on people to the point where they say, the disciples say, well, then who can be saved? Right? That's the right. rich young ruler, That's who right. can be saved? And he says, well, with man, it's impossible. Yep. But with God, all things are possible. That's what the law should do to you. You should say, well, then, well, that's impossible. And I love how the modern day Christian or modern day uh, pagan will say pagan or American will say, well, everybody's a sinner. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's not what you should say. What you should say is, well, then who could be good? And the problem right. is nobody. That's right. Well, and I, I'm just struck by the fact that the way that Jesus came and did ministry, did he call people to repentance? Yes. But what we, just to reiterate, what we often mean when we say that is repent of your immorality. And that's mm-hmm. really it. Mm-hmm. Whereas what Christ means is repent of, yeah, your immorality, but repent of your own virtue in your own eyes and your own righteousness in your own eyes and effectively come to me. That's what he's calling people to do. Come to me and trust Find your righteousness me. in me, yeah. Find your righteousness here and find your rest here. Yeah. And I don't, I don't, yeah. I, as crazy as this sounds, we need to probably do another podcast on this, but I think it's impossible to repent of all sin. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it is. of course it is. From because I can't yeah. love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, even though it's my ambition. Well, there's I there's a million it. sins that we commit that we're not aware of. <laughs> That's of right. Course. Which is uh, why you have to repent of the one sin, which is your self righteousness. Like, don't right. hold on to that. So, I mean, going on, I mean. It, this is not the words of Christ, but this is Matthew's description of Jesus citing the prophet Isaiah, which is where Richard Sibbs got the title for his book, The Bruised yeah. Reed. So Matthew is talking about Jesus, and he he's healing people, and he's doing these things. And, and Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, because Jesus is, is telling people, don't make me known yet. Behold, my servant who I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So again, you have this posture of the servant of God who is Christ, who will not break a bruised reed. He will not snuff out the wick that is just flickering and barely hanging on, but instead he will bring judgment to victory for all those who trust in him. You know, what a marvelous presentation of Christ Mm. and his mission, you know, and it just, it's not how, at least the the tone and the tenor of that sounds very different than how Christ is often preached. Yeah. Well, one one more illustration to kind of throw in there. Uh, I've got several more. I remember yeah. preaching uh, John 4, the woman at the well, yeah. and Jesus knows who this woman is, knows what this woman has done, and completely engages with her, which is a surprise to the woman. Yeah. <laughs> how, is no, it totally. being, how is it you being a teacher asking me for water? Mm-hmm. And she's and what, a Samaritan. It's right. And what does he end up doing with it? What does he end up, what does he offer her out of the gate? Living water, not repentance. Right. What she needs is, so she's trying to quench her thirst by the flesh. And Jesus says, are you tired of that yet? Yeah. How about I give you water that yeah. you will know? And she's like, give me that water, which she doesn't really that. understand that. Yeah. And when he finally, ex- ex- like, like he reveals. explaining it to her. <laughs> right. When she fin- he finally reveals it to her, she like loses her mind and runs back into the city to tell people like, you, do you know who I just found? And what I love is that Jesus always has these missionaries that are just the the broken of the community. Sure. <laughs> it's it's like they're the scum of the earth. And those, you know, even thinking about Zacchaeus, right? It's like mm-hmm. the missionaries of God. Um, I've, I've, I can't get off of this, but John 20, when Jesus walks into the room and the disciples are there, they abandon Jesus. The doors are locked. Luke describes them as screeching like little girls when the Jesus appears to them. And he says to them, peace be with you. And he shows him his scars in his hand and in his side. And then he commissions them to complete the father's mission. It's Mm -hmm. like, I love that Jesus is the one who is grabbing. This is Paul. Paul finally makes the description, right? Not many of us are wise. Not many of us are strong. He describes those whom Jesus saves and he saves the weak, rejected, no names people. And that's who God uses because why? In the end, Jesus gets all the glory Amen. and we don't want any because we don't have anything to be happy about because we're a nobody. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and to be clear, like what I said at the outset, I mean, God most certainly is glorified in the work of redemption. That is not up for debate. No. But but we totally, I think, misrepresent him when we do not say, like Luke 15, the parables of Christ, that he 
God delights and finds great joy and actually celebrates Mm. over sinners who repent. And like God is, is brought joy in this whole enterprise of salvation. Um, It is not just that like he's going to be renowned and praised. Of course he will be, but he in his person delights to do this. And that to me is one of the biggest mind blows in the universe, John, that the holy God who made us against whom we have committed cosmic treason, to use the words of R.C. Sproul, loves us so much and delights to save us in such a way that he is effectively throwing a party in heaven every time a sinner repents. It's, in, it's astonishing love and mercy and grace. So another passage, I mean, Jesus in John chapter 10, I mean, calls himself the good shepherd. And this is picking up on the language of Ezekiel 34, where the Lord says that he will be the shepherd of his people and he's going to seek them out and he's going to save them and bring them to pasture and gather them from where they've been scattered. It's been dark and scary, but he's going to get them and they're going to be safe. And he's going to set up over them his servant, David. And David, by the time Ezekiel's alive, I mean, David's been dead for a minute, right? So he's talking about the Christ, the greater David who would come. And Jesus says, I'm him. I'm the good shepherd. And I have come, not like a hired hand, right? But I have actually come. I know my own sheep and they know me. And I have come to lay my life down for them. The father has given me this mission, but I do this of my own accord. That's right. I lay my life down willingly. Nobody takes it from me. And yeah, he's not reluctant in this. And then like later on, you know, a few chapters later in John's gospel, when he's talking to the disciples the last night that he's on earth. I mean, what is what is all of that from like John 13 on through the high priestly prayer? It's all words of comfort because we're told that, that Jesus had loved his disciples while he was on earth. And, and then he loved them to the end. And he gives them all these words of comfort, including like the beginning of chapter 14, like, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And he prays for us in John 17, 24. I I desire that you'll be with me where I am Mm. to see the glory that the Father gave me before the foundation of the world. Like Jesus Mm. wants us with him. Good right. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to one last illustration. Sorry, and then I, just, we'll have, I know we have more. This is we'll so have to, fun. I mean, we'll, like, to, so we'll, we'll bring it over to the SR podcast because I know we and, have more to and say. And in SR, I would love to talk about like adoption, like yes. as a doctrine in scripture. Go ahead. Yeah. Adopting the unbeliever, not the repentant. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Come on now. So what is, just to close it with this and then Justin, you can bring us out, but what does Jesus say? To the woman who's washing his feet, who's Luke in seven, <laughs> who's Luke in se- oh, brother, the Pharisee's so home. Too much oh, I love it. has been forgiven. What does he say? Much love. Yeah. The point of it is, this woman understands her position. She's and understands Jesus's disposition towards her. She feels the freedom and the right to be with Jesus. Mm. She think about this. She feels the freedom and the right to wash his feet, not out of fear because she knows he loves her. Yeah. And unreal. 
And obviously, like the posture that she's coming with is one of humility and meekness too. Like she's yeah. not arrogant. She's not trusting in herself. She's a prostitute of the city for crying out loud. I mean, and she's crying over yeah. her forgiveness. And exactly. And the and obviously Simon the Pharisee is is wigging out and is thinking to himself, like if if Jesus knew if this man was a prophet, he wouldn't have anything to do with this woman. That's and right. Jesus, of course, knows the the thoughts of man and confronts the Pharisee. But where that all ends up is is like to your point. Luke 7, 47 and following, these words are incredible to me. Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, many. are forgiven. <laughs> For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves, loves little. And he little. said to her, so how does Jesus treat this woman who is a prostitute of the city? Hmm. Does he drop the hammer on her? What hmm. are his first words to her? He's just said in her presence to the Pharisee, she's forgiven. But then right. he looks at her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then those who are at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Mm-hmm. Because only God can do that. And then verse 50, to conclude the account, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith, not your faith in and of itself, but your faith in what? In me. That's has right. saved you. Now go in peace. That is Christ's word to wretched sinners such as us who come to him knowing that we need him. Right. What's, Brothers, waiting, oh. what's waiting on the other side of when we come to Jesus? Peace. Peace. I mean, when Jesus tells the disciples, peace be to you, and he shows them the scars in his hand. Like yeah. The thing is, the Jesus that's being presented to you, which we'll get into in SR, the Jesus mm-hmm. that's presenting to you is not one that you come running to with your sin is the wrong Jesus. You've been given the wrong Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. Mm. He draws sinners to himself. Mm-hmm. He has already taken on your sin. You can run to him boldly according to Hebrews and to receive mm. mercy and grace, and it's promised to you every single time you ask for it. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Amen, brother. What an encouraging thought. What an encouraging, like epically incredible message. Mm. that this is the God of the universe and this is what he's done for us. And uh, Jesus, what a friend for sinners, right? <laughs> it's been a good, man, it's been good for my heart just to talk about it. And I'm encouraged. Uh, I'm encouraged by God's word and talking about this and just thinking about the life and ministry of our Savior. And I hope for those of you who have listened to the conversation today that you too have been encouraged and comforted. And your takeaway from this is that Jesus loves me and offers me peace and rest and I can go to him. Amen. Um, because of that. So John and I are about to continue a, a conversation. I think we're going to talk more about the posture of Christ and even the disposition of God toward us, maybe even in thinking about how God has adopted sinners into his own family. And he's not given us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of adoption through mm-hmm. which we call him father now, which is right. a mind blow in and of itself. And so it, that podcast that we're about to record is an additional podcast we do each week called Semper Reformanda. And that is for people who have become Semper Reformanda members who have partnered with Theocast to see this message of the sufficiency of Christ spread as far and wide as possible. And so if you're curious about that podcast and you want to know how you can get access to it, you could go over to our website, theocast.org and find out more there about Semper Reformanda and what that means. We've got an app and all kinds of other things, a community that's being built uh, of people just like you who are learning, just like John and I are still learning about what it means to rest in Christ. And we can lock arms together 
virtually or in geographical groups and all these kinds of fun things that are going on. So go over to the website, check it out. Yeah, and I just want to add, if you want to have a conversation like Justin and I just had about this, then that's what the app is for. It allows you to connect with other people and talk like Justin and I just did. Wonderful. So avail yourselves of all of that, and you can again get that web, that information at the website, theocast.org. So for those of you who may not be heading over to SR, John and I will talk with you again, Lord willing, next week in this uh, format. And for the SR members, we will have another conversation with you in just a moment. See ya.